0: I'm Sadiya Tariq and you're listening to Dhani, the podcast. This is a very intricately weaved podcast by Sheikh Ibrahim. Threads of the nafs, the ego, childhood conditioning, external motives, assumptions, expectations and how we can incrementally, in the words of Sheikh Ibrahim, dismantle these layers to find our path towards God. Sir, welcome back. Um, Thank Thank you so much for being on Dhani.
1: Pleasure. Thank you.
0: Sir, um, today you're talking about um, the ego. Mm. And what it means uh, for for us as human beings, what it means for us, uh, for our soul, mm. how are we supposed to manage it, how are we supposed to know when it's right and when it's wrong?
1: Mm. Um, <clears throat> that, that, that's uh, that's uh, a wheelbarrow full of questions. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so maybe, maybe I could just explore the idea of ego in the first instance. One must kind of be cautious of this word because we very often view the ego or nafs. First of all, ego is is uh, um, is translated as nafs uh, or, or or vice versa, and I'm not entirely sure that these these terms kind of necessarily imply each other. But um, if we focus on that on, on the idea of ego, you know, it's. When people speak about this thing, they, it's, on, it's like they're referring to um, something exists that, that exists like a cow. It's like an object. It's a real thing, um, uh, and this is not useful. I mean, it's, like, it's not like there's a little mini sadhya sitting in your head called sadhya's ego. Uh, you know, it's it's more useful to think of this phenomenon as the complex of thoughts that create a sense of existing separately from the world. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's like a web of ideas, really, of thinking that produces an experience where you, that you aren't continuous with the world, but that you exist as something set against what isn't you, opposite to the world. That, mm-hmm. That experience is some that is one that is entrained through your 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 um your socialization, your kind of upbringing, and is maintained uh, with uh, an ongoing internal dialogue. In other words, messages that you give yourself in an ongoing basis. Uh, you know, I mean, purely phys- physically, we don't really exist as discrete beings. I mean, we're not separate from the world around us. If you stopped mm-hmm. interacting with the world around you, even physically, you would die. I mean, if we put a hand over your mouth so you couldn't breathe, um, uh, within a few minutes you're dead. So uh, uh, you don't exist separately from the world around you. You exist almost as an eddy in a stream. There's this, there's this stream of, of, uh, of life that that has some f- kind of a form and that form is you but what exists is the stream and your sense of uniqueness or individuality is really a bit of a construct it's a construct that we get learned or that that, that we learn it's that we get taught this construct we, we as we as we uh, particularly um, in the, f- in the first phase of this is in in a stage of attention that you could call gaining form, which is sort of between infancy and middle childhood, and it's really where the toddler. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you consider, you know, very young, very young children, sort of even before toddling, uh, you know, as it's banging in the, uh, uh, as it's sort of banging the the pan on the on the floor of the kitchen or pouring. Flower over itself. What it's actually doing is it's trying to understand what it is. It's trying to understand its own form. So, this idea, the sense that I'm a, a discrete object, um, is produced, is, is, is one that we learn over a period of time. Now, what's important about mm-hmm. the sense of discrete object that, is that it's also about learning our boundaries, understanding what we think our boundaries are, and in describing our boundaries to ourselves we also then uh, describe our conditioning so uh, what you you your needs what you require from the world is based on your conditioning and so that then also then describes our sense of inadequacy which is why one of the reasons we can we we understand ego to be about our sense of vulnerability or our sense of um, of 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 greediness, our sense of individuality, our sense of of uh, of arrogance or of self-importance, because it's all—it's it, really the sum total of our sense of existing separately from the world, and this, our sense of of neediness, if you like. That's mm-hmm. a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. So that's what the ego is, F- from my point of view. It's really the sum total of our conditioning, and our Therefore, is also our conditional motive. So I mean, when, I hope that makes uh, sense. I beg your pardon.
0: It, it it surely does. But then, when it is uh, when it's asked of us uh, to protect ourselves from our nafs, what yeah, are you we? See, so, ourselves? so I
1: mean, who's? Who, you see, that's one of the dangers of viewing the nafs or the self or the ego as as an independent object. So, so. Um, and that you know it's like I need to be frightened of this person sitting. I need to protect myself from this person sitting in this chair now. I'm, I think it's more useful to understand that if the if the ego, if the se- your sense of existing as an independent individual disconnected from the world, is actually the outcome of a product of, of a of a set of ideas. Then just it it means that you can incrementally dismantle them, you know, because right. they're incrementally right. built up. So right. so so let's say, for instance, that you know, what makes Sadia Sadia? So so let's assume we're both we're sitting on a plane going somewhere, and we're both bored because the in-flight entertainment system is broken. So we started chat, you know, just kind of, and and you describe we introduce. It, ourselves to each other, so I tell you a bit about myself. What are you likely to say about yourself?
0: I would say that I'm a mother of two, right? Uh, and I um, am a yoga teacher, right? And I have a well-being podcast, and I live in the UK.
1: Right. Okay. Well, that's good enough. Now, everything. So, 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 everything that you say about yourself, Sadia is actually more a statement about what you're not than about what you are. I mean, right. every single assertion you make excludes a whole universe of possibilities. Like, for mm. instance, if you're a mother of two, it means you're not a mother of seven or a mother of one. Right. Um, by saying okay. you're, the, you're a mother, that's already identifying a gender. In other words, you're a woman and you're not a man. It means that you're a very particular kind of a woman. A woman has had children. Um, uh, you know, so, um, if you say you have a, a wellness, um, uh, uh, podcast, that means you don't have a DIY podcast or, a, you know, or a hunting podcast, or in other words, you, every single <laughs> thing you say about yourself excludes a whole universe of possibility.
0: Sure. You are you say
1: infinitely more about what you're not than what about what you are. Every articulation of identity is a statement of exclusion, more than right. a statement of inclusion. Right. These statements right. of e- exclusion are basically producing your set of boundaries of your life, who you think you are. Mm-hmm. Now that mm-hmm. complex it... eventually becomes like a cage. You know, it becomes mm-hmm. because what's interesting about this complex is that every one of those things have a definite character. First of all, it's linguistic. I mean, you know, you need a language that carries the the word um, uh, 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 lifestyle uh, podcast or woman or 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 mother or do you, you know what I mean? So uh, these things are sure. all carried in language, and they're all ba- and they're all based on things that you're repeating to yourself all the time. It, and mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. the second thing that's true about these ideas that you're repeating to yourself all the time is they're all bi biographically rooted by definition, you know.
0: Right, yeah um,
1: so that it happened in the past, and so your who you think you are it basically creates a web of exclusions which defines your conditioning, and that that conditioning is obviously based on your your history, your personal history mm-hmm. that conditioning mm-hmm. also describes your conditional motive so because it describes what's interesting to you so. I mean, if you describe yourself as a mother, I can already say that there's certain things would be very important to you. They're benign things. They're about providing for your family or protecting your children. But but that is then how your motive will operate. If I put you in a position where you need to act, your motives will be driven by the same set of constraints. So your conditional motive is rooted in your conditioning. Your conditioning is biographically based and is carried in language. It's carried in stuff that we whisper to ourselves on an ongoing basis. And what's also important about these whisperings that carry on is it's multi-level. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some of, them, some of them are very superficial, but some of them are deep. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they're sort of, uh, they're so deep, they're subliminal. You don't know, you, you report, you're repeating These little statements to yourself all the time, and in fact, Mm -hmm. the 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 bits of conditioning that really toxically affect who we are, very often, things that we don't know are being repeated. So, so for instance, phobias Mm -hmm. work like that. Let's say, for instance, Mm -hmm. I have an I have a an overwhelming phobia of uh, of uh, I don't know. So so men with tall hats, you know. (laughs) Now I've forgotten about this because when I was two a man in a tall hat pinched me. And I then decided if there was a man with a tall... This little piece of text is running in the background and kind of basically affects how I see the world and how I act to the world as I'm an adult. Mm -hmm. I see a man in a tall hat and I get all fidgety and uncomfortable. I have no idea why, but it's there. So this, the conditioning that produces who we think we are that then is turns translates into what we think we need from the world, our conditional motive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now you can't take that whole thing and make war on it. right because because that, I mean that is a recipe for madness because your conscious identity is a product of all of these things, but the problem is this that actually the this This mask that we live behind produces fundamentally really alienated people because we are now live, literally alienated, separated from the rest of the world because it's this these lines of distinction, these exclusions, put this attention which is who you really are, this looker behind the cage of all of these bars. But now the question is, what was this? little flame of wakefulness that came into the world before they called it Sadia, before it had every one of these statements of exclusion put on it. What is that being? Now we would refer mm. to that being as raw. It is your original deepest nature. It is nature. not artificial. It's not an artifact. It is root. That is who you really are. All of these other things are artifacts. Right. What's also true is you cannot live in the world of men without without the artifact. You cannot live as a person among people without a persona. We need you, mm-hmm. we need a handle to you. We need to know that's Sadia and that's Fred and that's Ahmed. We need we need a handle. Right. We need a persona. But the problem is that we identify with a persona. We think that's who we really are. We identify mm. with this. this web of statements of exclusion that then produce this excluded and highly alienated experience of life. So Mm -hmm. how do we get back to experiencing who we really are, the depth of this, Mm -hmm. and still maintain some face so we don't become completely dysfunctional? Some people do, by the way. They call them Majduh. They go completely dysfunctional. But enough, enough of a face. Um, So the way you do this is you dismantle the programming, the the um, the uh, this conditioning incrementally, right, step by step. Now, how does one dismantle it incrementally? Well, you don't actually have to do it because he does it for you. Because Allah has a greater interest in you coming home than you have yourself. Because He made what? you for the delight of homecoming, for the amazed experience, the ex- the rapture, the 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 awe the the wonder of of being his his uh, his worshipper, that's why he made Mm. so. So he has as much of it. He he says to us, you know, you one step you take towards me, I take, you know, uh, uh, ten steps towards you. It's as as you Mm. know, uh, he he wants us to come home. So how do we incrementally dismantle our conditioning? Well, we incrementally challenge our own conditional motive. Mm. Which means, basically, in every situation that we're in, we don't act on the basis of what we want in that situation. We act on the basis of what is right, or what Allah wants of us in that situation. That's the one thing we do. So every Mm. time you do that, every time you act on the basis of what you should contribute or give, in other words, what Allah wants from you in the situation, you're acting for something which is bigger than yourself. That means you transcend your boundary. You become bigger than yourself. You incrementally move beyond your conditioning. Mm. But then there's also work that you can do on the inside, because that's work on the outside. It's transactional work. It's stuff you do in the world. There's work that you can do on the inside, and that work is really about all of the practices of of all inner traditions, actually, because they're all about quietening your internal dialogue. And when you quieten Mm -hmm. your internal dialogue, there's a number of things that happen. The first thing that happens is you start switching off some of these whisperings that are taking place, the the little lines of text that are running um, that are keeping your sense of who you are in place. The second thing that you're doing is you you start to operate at a place which is deeper than where the whispering is operating from. So you no longer identify with it. So it's not—it's not like you're in the clouds anymore. You're below the clouds. They—they go past you. The clouds are are these thoughts that you—and they blind you when you're in them. You think this is you, but once you're deeper than them, you realize, "But no, no, no. no—that's just a conviction I hold. I can change that conviction." You know, I have an idea in my head that I'm a mother of two. At the moment, that's okay. You know, uh, 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 but. You know, I could be the mother of five or the mother of none. It's quite possible. Mm. You know, Mm. I am not that identity.
0: Yeah. So how do we develop the muscle of the conviction to undo a certain conviction that we're being identified by or we identify ourselves with?
1: This is a, a multi-layered question that you posed there, Sadia. Because there's so there's two there's two issues at issue. The first is how do I convince myself that it's important to do this job of dismantling this mm. thing incrementally? Mm. Yes. Well, uh, so uh, and that that is really asking yourself, well, have I suffered enough? You know. Mm. I mean, um, because the problem is the fundamental problem of existing as a separate individual from the world around you caught within this cage of your identity is that you have uh, the, an insoluble problem that you're confronted by a universe that is vast and overwhelming and will overwhelm you. In other words, you're confronted by the horror of death, of absolute annihilation. Mm-hmm. And all other horrors are actually a subset to that horror. So, mm. so it means to say that while, you, while, you, while you're clinging on to this idea that who you are is this persona, this artificial being, you're in terror. I mean, you're quietly in terror, but you're, you're living a life of quiet desperation. So the first thing that you need to convince yourself of is that this way of being alive is actually not a tolerable way of being. I no longer want to live sure. like this. You know,
0: mm-hmm. and and
1: otherwise, don't you know? If 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 if, if I, so, so my experience of the of people on this path is, you know, it's not really for people who are super, supremely functional, because their lives work. So people like me you are supremely dysfunctional. Your life is a cat a catastrophic mess. When you're in enough of a mess, then you start realizing that well, this is actually this, the whole setup of being alive like this is intolerable.
0: Mm.
1: once you've got that insight then you start to you you work out on the you 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 get the individual little elements of suffering there's two elements to this it's two kind of sandals if you like that drive the journey the first is learning to see things as they are because Mm. the problem is that we don't see things as they are we see things through the lens of our expectation and our expectation is driven by our own conditional motive in our conditioning. In other words, we see through tainted lenses, right? Of course. The yeah. second thing is to give the situation its due, is to act appropriately with regard to what Allah wants of you in this situation, to act, you know, so. Now, sometimes it's not, so, 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 so uh, what's important about these two, two um, skills of seeing things as they are, and giving the situation its due is that they are incrementally enabling. They, let me if it's even more, more refined than that. They're incrementally yeah. mutually enabling. You know, so the degree to which you will see the thing, you will appraise the thing correctly, is the degree to which you act appropriately. When you act appropriately, you end up in the next situation with a little bit of baggage clarified, so you see the situation more as it is. And it's easiest to explain in reverse. So let's say, for instance, mm. I'm I have a flaming row with my spouse, and I arrive at work still absolutely in a rage. And my colleague greets me, and I ignore the colleague you know, because I'm furious. And the colleague says, "Hey, man, I greeted you." And I look at that, and then suddenly I realise what's just happening. I say, oh, "I'm so sorry, man. I had such a fight with my wife." So mm. clearly, I had this 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 set to I misbehaved in this I didn't act appropriately and I therefore keep part of my attention still trapped in this unresolved drama and I then get introduced to the next situation that I'm going into half blind I don't see the colleague in the corridor is about to no. you know no. now what we do of course is that we um, we sort of add double trouble we normally we don't Try and park the thing there by apologising. We get annoyed that he had the cheek to be annoyed, and then we attack the colleague. And so, so we just have ongoing the building up of baggage. So, yeah. in a sense, all of these bits of internal dialogue that actually trap who we are is really keeping a line of text. Go- it's it's a keeping a line a line of text going that's soaking up small little bits of our attention that make us incrementally blind, more and more blind as life goes on. Being on wow, the path wow, means yeah. you incrementally clean it up.
0: Right. And you don't right. have to worry
1: about the order because Allah will give you the order. It's in the next mm. thing that needs to be dealt with. So mm. you act inappropriately, and then suddenly there'll maybe be a spark of insight. You'll see the thing, you'll act appropriately, something clarifies, then it enables you to be more appropriate in the next situation. So incrementally you transcend, you go beyond your your um your conditioning. And then what happens is that the mask is, gets thinner and thinner. The sense of separation gets thinner and thinner. You know, you mm. kind of, it's like you, another way of describing this is that, uh, you know, on, on the window of our perception, we don't see things as they are. We're actually looking at years and years of, of accumulated grime that's based on our assumptions and so on and as you go through life you as you go on the path you incrementally clean it off
0: right, and the, right,
1: right. so you, you soap it the the taking the next step appropriately is the is the using the water to wash off that layer and then you soap it again you reflect and then you act so you wash so you incrementally strip the layers of conditioning and then uh, then you incrementally ex, uh, escape your experience of existing as a separate ego, a separate self, um, disconnected from the world. And you're introduced back to that primordial, extraordinary, scintillating, magical being, who you really still are, that, who, is, who knows deeply that they're from Allah, that they'll return to Allah. Death is no threat. They are uh, they 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 know that the world is their benefactor and their ally because it's, the world is Allah's face. They're just like my own blood isn't my enemy. So the air that courses through my nose isn't my enemy. So the water that I ingest to turn into my blood isn't my enemy. So the whole universe that orchestrates to produce who I am isn't my enemy. It's not opposite to me. It is me. I've only Beautiful. produced an illusion Beautiful. of being opposite to it by having this identity.
0: Wow. So thank you so much for such a clear-sighted, clear uh, sagacious, in-depth deliverance of of what the ego is and what really we're doing and what really our struggle is all about. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much, Sadi.